Odd Trails contains adult language and content. If you have a story to share, send it to stories at oddtrails.com. Enjoy the show. Forget facts. Forget logic. Forget everything that seems real. Just trust. Believe. Yesterday, I felt like Neo after his visit with the Oracle. I feel obligated to state that this is not a fake story, and that I am a very logical and skeptical individual. I am mentally healthy with no medical conditions that I am aware of. I recently moved out to a new apartment, and the next day I arrived, I saw a piece of paper stuck to my door. It was an ad for a yoga class in another apartment in the same complex. I practiced yoga back in college and I really enjoyed it. I felt like doing it again, so I called the number. A woman answered and she gave me all the information, alongside the offer for a free class. For this story, we will call her Den, who will be my yoga teacher for the next few months. So I went in for the first class and everything looked kind of normal. I had a great time and everyone seemed friendly. At the end, Den told me about the different class schedules and that she also did therapy. I asked her what kind of therapy, to which she responded that what she did was called mirror therapy, where she would connect with the person telepathically, find what codes the person's mind would be sending, and then through rituals or the power of the mind would fix them. Okay. I left the place thinking she was one of those crazy minerals and energy people, but overall a good human being and a great yoga teacher, so I kept going to her classes a couple of times per week. What I always found weird about Den is how normal she is. Aside from the I have telepathic powers, she behaves like a rational human being, and you can talk with her like she isn't crazy. Anyways, A couple of weeks later, at the end of a yoga class, when we would lie down, close our eyes, and just meditate for a couple of minutes, I had a vision of me sitting down with her during one of these therapy sessions. It was so vivid that it freaked me the hell out, since this had never happened to me before. I supposedly have something called aphantasia, which means I can't mentally visualize imagery. This has been the case for as long as I can remember, where the only moment where I can imagine stuff is when I'm asleep. So once the class was over, I'm still wondering what that was all about, when she smiled at me and gave me a look, as if she knew what just happened. I was just too curious to not do it, so I just went for it. I told her to book me for one of those therapies. She smiled and gave me a date two weeks later. I was thinking how weird the whole thing was and spent the rest of the night trying to visualize something to no avail. So yesterday was my therapy date. I arrived with an open mind but not many expectations. She asked me to sit and explained to me that all I had to do was to think about a happy memory before giving her permission to get inside my mind and then to just relax and let my mind wander. I followed her instructions and sat there feeling a bit dumb that I had fallen for one of these new age tricks. However, once I had my eyes closed, things got weird really fast, and I again started having visions during which I saw the top of my head being filled with light and having thoughts going all over the place. I could hear her writing stuff down really fast while all this was happening. She then asked me to open my eyes, and when I did, 
I felt completely in the twilight zone, the kind of feeling you get when something unexpected happens that throws you off cruise control. The last time that happened to me was when I fell off my motorcycle and everything was in slow motion. Den smiled at me and told me I was a bit messed up, but we were going to fix it. She proceeded to tell me all my fears, insecurities, and beliefs, as if she had known me all my life. I can't place enough emphasis on how accurate she was. While many of them are very personal, and I don't feel comfortable sharing everything, some of the mind-boggling ones were, You are not afraid of death, but you do have a mortal fear of sickness. I do, I was very sick when I was a kid and grew up to be a bit of a hypochondriac. You have a mortal fear of poverty, but you think money is evil. Again, nailed it. I grew up in a very poor family and always hated it, but at the same time I am a bit of a hippie and hate how money moves the world around. You feel extreme guilt about losing a part of your body. Doctors removed my gallbladder a couple of years ago, in what I now believe was an unnecessary surgery. As you can see, this was no vague stuff open to interpretation, and she was dead right about everything else she told me. She didn't make things up to see if they stuck. She didn't ask me any questions beforehand, or fished for information. I had never talked to her or anyone from the class about these things. She doesn't know anyone from my social circle or family and even they don't know things such as my guilt about my gallbladder. I don't have social media where she can get this information. I sat there for a solid ten minutes in silence, trying to figure out how this could have happened. When I asked her for an explanation, she just told me that this was what my mind was saying, that she is as surprised as I was that she can do this, but that it is possible since we are all connected because we are all the same consciousness, pretending to be many. She gave me a list of things I must do, and mentioned some weird things that will happen, like my dad randomly calling tomorrow. My dad called me this afternoon to ask me some trivial stuff. I'm sitting here still trying to figure out a logical explanation for all of this. I don't consider myself particularly sensitive to the supernatural or paranormal, but I have had numerous experiences of the paranormal variety throughout my life, and I'm going to keep things focused on my childhood. Here's a little backstory. My parents' relationship had been deteriorating for a while. They both tried their hardest to keep the arguing and fighting away from us kids because they didn't want to burden their children with their adult problems, but we could all still feel it. The air was very tense in the house, and try as they might, keeping something away from five nosy children just wasn't possible. It also didn't help that most of their arguments took place late at night in the kitchen, which was unfortunately right next to the room I shared with my little sister. As the big sister, I was the one who had to console my baby sister every time their fighting woke her up. I've had insomnia from a very young age, I was rarely asleep before they started fighting. Then I'd go to my older brothers the next morning, cry about what we heard our parents say to each other the night before, and suddenly, it was their turn to comfort me. A never-ending vicious cycle that perpetuated the dark, heavy depression that slowly settled over all of us. We all eventually stopped inviting our friends over and tried to spend as little time in our home as possible. Can you imagine what it's like to live in a house of seven people, five of whom are children, and there's no noise, no laughter, no sound of petty squabbling between siblings, no nothing? We were falling apart as a family, and we all knew it, but no one, not one of us, acknowledged it out loud. And that's how we all lived for three years, 2013 being the year our parents finally announced that they were getting a divorce. My dad moved out, leaving the house to my mom. Now that I'm done setting the scene, 
I guess I'll crack into the actual meat of the story. It was the summer of 2012. I was staying up late watching One Piece and doing laundry. Dog at my feet sleeping under the computer desk. I don't know if you understand the hell of trying to do laundry in a large household, but it sucks. Royally. Every time you need to do laundry, you find the dryer full of half-dried towels and your mom's unmentionables in the washer with another hour to go on the timer. Every time. So, to resolve this issue, I started doing my laundry in the middle of the night. We had a detached laundry room. It was an old garage that was kitty-corner to our home, so to do the laundry, we had to go through the back door, down the creaky, rotting wood of the porch steps, then another 20 or so feet to get to the laundry room. I had been timing my clothes by counting the episodes I had watched. After three or four episodes, I'd go out, swap the clean clothes to the dryer, put more dirty clothes in the washer, start both, and then go back inside to watch more of my goofy pirate anime. I was on my last load of laundry. I just needed them to finish washing so that I could toss them into the dryer, then I could go to bed and grab them in the morning when I woke up. I checked the time as I got up for the last time, and it was four or so in the morning. I start heading down the hallway when my dog whimpers and then follows me. Max, our family dog, was an American Mastiff. Very big, very protective, but this was weird to me. I had been in and out of the house all night, but he had never followed me outside once. At first, I brushed it off, thinking that he just wanted to do his business, but very soon realized that wasn't the case. I began to walk down the hallway toward the back door, but a bad feeling was slowly growing in my gut. With every step, this feeling grew heavier and heavier. I stopped before passing my parents' bedroom door because Max was blocking my way. This huge dog was whimpering and crying and using his whole body to push me away from their bedroom door. I was only 12. I weighed about 90 pounds soaking wet. So, he unsurprisingly succeeded in pushing me backward. Once I was a couple of steps back from my parents' bedroom door, he then turned and growled at the door. Hackles raised. I felt even more uneasy. This was very much not like him. Like I said, he was protective, but also the sweetest and friendliest dog ever. And never, I mean never, had I heard him growl like that before. Sure, he growled at strangers, or even at my dad when he was roughhousing with us, but this growl was different. It was the keep-out-of-my-yard growl that he would do when someone he didn't recognize walked up to the house, and it definitely wasn't the I-like-you-but-don't-hurt-my-kid growl that he would give my dad when we would scream as he threw us around. It was deeper and more guttural. It also felt like he was saying, I'll mess you up. Stay far away. I had chills running down my spine, and that feeling in my gut was now a 20-pound brick weighing me down. I was now officially scared, but I still needed to move my laundry to the dryer. It was summer, after all, and the Texas heat was not forgiving. I hated the mildewy smell that clothes got if you left them out in the heat for too long, so I weighed my options. I could leave my wet clothes in the washer and just deal with the stink, or I could be brave and run outside and switch them over. Like an idiot, I chose to be brave. I really, really hate bad smells. So I took a deep breath and convinced myself I was just being jumpy. Nothing was wrong. And it's just because it's late at night or dark outside that I'm freaked out. Once I finished convincing myself of this, I started walking the last few feet to the back door. I felt nervous and a bit jumpy, with goosebumps all over my arms. But I walked slowly. I thought that if I ran... I'd wake up my parents and get in trouble for being too noisy in the middle of the night when my dad had to work in the morning. Max didn't try to stop me or growl at the door this time. He just walked between me and the wall that separates my parents' bedroom from the hallway. We made it to the back door and I opened it then ran outside, practically jumping off the back porch. I took a deep breath of fresh air and all of a sudden felt dizzy. What was I so scared for? I was just walking past my parents' bedroom. There was absolutely no reason for me to be scared in my own home. 
I turned around to face the house, giggling at myself for being dumb. And then I saw it. It was at my parents' bedroom window, staring at me. Now, it didn't really have a face or eyes, but I could tell that it was looking at me. It had the shape of a person, but I could tell that it most certainly was not human. It looked like it was made up of this thick black smoke swirling around in controlled chaos. It was as if somebody blew smoke into a glass bottle and shut the lid real tight before the smoke could escape. I could hear my heart pounding in my chest, and I felt so cold despite the Texas summer heat. I was frozen in place, staring at this thing, just as it was staring at me. Max was between me and the house now, haunches pressed against my legs, hackles raised once again, and I heard him growl, that same deep guttural growl again. Then the thing at the window was gone. It just vanished. I don't remember blinking, but I do remember slowly walking backward toward the laundry room. My eyes were glued to my parents' window the whole time. I was waiting for it to come back, but it never did. I was thoroughly freaked out, borderline hyperventilating, but I did manage to put my clothes in the dryer, and I don't know if I was consciously trying to do the mundane task to ground myself back to reality, or if my brain had just shut down completely and said, finish laundry, because it couldn't process what my eyes had seen. I didn't go back inside until the sun started to rise. I sat on the swing set in our backyard, facing the house, too afraid of whatever was in there that I had seen. I didn't want to walk past my parents' bedroom again. Later that same year, I saw the same thing again. I mentioned earlier that I shared a room with my little sister, and we also shared a big queen-sized bed. We had bunk beds previously, but had to get rid of them because the AC didn't work properly in our bedroom, and I kept getting nosebleeds due to me being on the top bunk and it getting too hot for me to breathe. The queen bed was a temporary solution, and we did end up with our own twin beds later, but for the time being, we did have to share one. I slept on the side of the bed that was against the wall, my head by the window at the foot of the bed and my sister slept on the side of the bed closest to the bedroom door, her feet at my head. This was because I moved a lot in my sleep and she didn't like waking up to me practically strangling her in an octopus hold. This was one of the rare nights I had fallen asleep at a normal time, but I ended up waking up in the middle of the night. I woke up on my back, an uncommon position for me, and I couldn't open my eyes. I kept trying but they felt too heavy to lift. I tried raising my hand to rub my eyes open, but I couldn't move my arm either. It was then that I realized I was having sleep paralysis. It wasn't my first time experiencing this extremely uncomfortable and unsettling phenomenon, but that didn't make it any less scary for me at the time. Being awake and completely unable to move is just plain scary, even to me now, who still deals with this 11 years later. I kept trying to move my arms, kick my legs, and open my eyes, but nothing was working, and I was getting increasingly freaked out. My heart was racing, and I wanted to scream or cry, but I couldn't do anything. Just when I was about to give up and try to go back to sleep for real, my eyes finally shot open. I still couldn't move any other part of my body, but at least being able to open my eyes calmed me, though not for long. I blinked a couple of times, trying to get my eyes to adjust to the darkness, but I couldn't see anything. I knew my eyes were open, but everything was just as dark as if they were still shut. I then felt something touch my left shoulder. If I could have screamed, I would have. It felt like a hand, but there was no warmth of flesh. It kind of felt like a rock, heavy and sharp in some places. It pressed harder and harder into my shoulder, and I felt so afraid. I kept staring up at the ceiling, trying to see what it was that was over me, grabbing my shoulder like a vice, but it was so dark. With every second, the weight on my shoulder became heavier and heavier. It got to the point that I thought it was going to crush my collarbone and shoulder blade all at once. It was so painful. I finally started crying from the pain, and then it was gone. 
not just the hand on my shoulder, but the overwhelming darkness as well. I could see the faint outline of the ceiling fan and the glow-in-the-dark stars that my sister and I had pasted all over the room. The moonlight was cascading through the curtain as it fluttered about. I reached up and wiped the tears off of my face, heart still pounding loudly in my chest. Then I curled into a ball and faced the window, sobbing into my pillow. I was so scared and didn't want to fall back to sleep, but I guess I eventually exhausted myself from crying, so I ended up passing out. The next morning, I was getting dressed for school. I saw a bruise on my left shoulder, faint, like it had been healing for a few days already, but still clearly there. I could see the outline. It was the outline of five fingers and the bottom of a palm, a handprint silently reaffirming that what I had felt last night was not just a bad dream. I did see it many times after that, but never as full-bodied as those first two times, just peaks of it out of the corners of my eyes, hearing something moving across the room behind me when I should be completely alone, or the feeling that I was being watched. These were only hints that it was still present. Then it came to the point where I wasn't seeing it at home, but at my dad's new house. It seemed to have followed him after he moved out. The feeling of being watched was only at my dad's house now. The glimpses of the smoky figure were now only ever at his house. Every time I saw it now, I only saw it at his house. It was a constant presence for another two or three years, but then I couldn't see it anymore. I couldn't feel anything watching me or hear footsteps behind me. It had just vanished one day. I never told a soul what I saw or felt. I thought no one would believe me, and they would think that I was making it all up. That was until a few years later. I was in high school now, and watching ghost adventures on the couch in the living room at my mom's, making fun of the host, Zach, which is one of my favorite hobbies, and my mom was at her desk scrapbooking. I can't recall where any of the other siblings were, but I think it was a Saturday, so they were probably holed up in their rooms or out with friends. She could see and hear the TV from her desk as it was a short distance from behind the couch. I don't remember what episode it was, but they were talking about shadow people and whether or not they could get one on camera. And I hear my mom say behind me, I've seen one. A shadow person, I mean. Shocked, I turned around to look at her, eyes wide, jaw dropped. Elaborate, please, I begged her. She stopped working and looked up at my head, peeking at her over the couch, and very calmly told me her story. It was before your dad moved out. I woke up in the middle of the night and I couldn't move, but I could still turn my head. When I did, I looked over and I saw this thing, like a mass of black smoke hovering over your dad. It reached out and it kind of felt like it was taking something from him. I was so scared. I was trying to wake your dad up. I kept trying to call his name or kick him awake, but I couldn't move. Then the thing turned its head and looked at me. It didn't have a face, but I swear to God, I saw it turn its head and look at me. All of a sudden, it was gone and I couldn't move again. I woke your dad up and he said that he felt fine and wasn't having a bad dream. When she told me this, I was in absolute shock. I had never, ever told anybody what I had seen before. And now my mom was sitting there telling me that she had seen it too. It was then that I finally told my mom what I had experienced and she listened, nodding along as I recounted my horror. I left some of the minor details out, like the fact that I had stayed outside all night after I saw it in her bedroom window and the bruise on my left shoulder, but she believed me. We talked about it a bit more and came to the conclusion that it was attracted to the bad energy in our house during the time that she and my dad were going through the roughest part of their marriage together. We had never experienced anything paranormal in our house before then and nothing after my dad moved out. But I had seen it at my dad's new house. It was then that I finally had the realization. It was after my dad whatever it was, the demon, shadow person, entity, whatever. I think it wanted my dad. I'm sorry for the long story. It just felt good to finally put everything into writing. 
It makes me feel a bit more sane now. Even if you don't share this on the podcast, I hope you enjoyed reading it. I love you both so much, and your podcast really helps me get through the dull, ever-repetitive work days that only seem to get longer and longer. My mom has been very sick all my life. She constantly fights pancreatitis, high blood pressure, diabetes, and thyroid issues. I wouldn't label us a certain religion, but I also believe she has another sense. She's guessed when a family member is pregnant because of dreams, including the gender. She also says she felt someone goose her the night her best friend passed which honestly sounds like something she would have done if given the chance. She even says she once asked, God, how big is space? And had a vivid dream that night where she floated through space, almost like a tour. When my mom first got sick, I think I was in middle school. Our house got very dark. I was scared to sleep at night. It felt like something watched me in my sleep. My mom would claim to see a dark shadow in the corner of her room that grew as she got worse. My sister would cry at night for an unknown reason, and one night our old-fashioned steel kettle flew off the stove with such force that it made a large dent in it. She got better for some years, and when I was in high school, we got the news that she was pregnant, after a dream prediction, of course with my little brother. Her pancreatitis called for a life-saving emergency C-section, and after being in NICU for some weeks, my brother came home. But my mom fell greatly ill. That's when things got wild. She would tell us that a nun flew around her bed the day a friend went in and prayed over her. Another time, a gorilla shook her hospital bed, This one is still unexplainable to me. After a few weeks more of pumping out bile, my mom was well enough to come home. We were talking about her health when she told me about an experience. The night she died. She flatlined, and after she was resuscitated, she said she saw a giant hand with a calming presence. Behind the hand, a spiritual voice said, Come, daughter. And she replied without moving her mouth, I am ready, take me home. The hand grabbed hers, and as she hugged this giant finger, she was lifted over her hospital bed. She could see herself and my crying uncle begging her to wake up and be well. Without a lingering second, the hand took her back to her home, looking in her room window. She saw me comforting my eight-year-old sister, explaining to her that mom is coming home soon. You need to be here. Your life is not done yet, the voice said. As soon as my mom understood, she was taken back to her hospital bed, where she woke up to my uncle crying, to which she said, Shut up, I'm not dead yet. That's my uncle's favorite part of the story. When my mom told me this, I couldn't help but cry. She thought it was because I had just learned that she legitimately died, but that wasn't it. I recall that night when my sister came into my mom's room where I was, and behind her tears, she asked me if mom was going to be okay. I remember hugging her and telling her, Don't worry, mom will be home soon, after she gets stronger. I don't want to label us any particular religion, but we are believers. And if you ever ask my mom, she'll say, God does exist. I've spoken to him. Dreams that give me a premonition of what's to come always follow a similar pattern. 
I find myself waking up in this auditorium styled like a Roman Colosseum. The crowd is divided by columns, and I'm trapped in the midst of the people. It's during a concert, and depending on the dream, different deceased individuals are performing on the stage. For instance, Selena was one of the individuals that I remember, although their presence isn't directly connected to the dream. In this setting, I'm filled with anxiety and an intense desperation to find someone, although I never know who it is. Every time I have this dream, I wake up in a cold sweat on the verge of tears. I've had this dream multiple times over the years, but two instances stand out the most. To provide some context, I attend church every week, and it has been part of my life for as long as I can remember. In our church, we are taught to trust our instincts, which we often refer to as promptings. I believe these promptings do come from God. I'm one of the few members of the congregation who knows how to play the organ, so on most Sundays, I'm the organist. In 2022, as I was playing the organ, I noticed a little old lady named Gracie, whom I had known since childhood. Gracie was one of the most beautiful souls that I had ever encountered. When I was growing up, one of my grandmothers passed away when I was around seven or eight years old. Gracie knew about this and would affectionately refer to herself as my adopted grandmother. She would always be excited to see my family whenever we crossed paths. I loved her dearly. A few months before I saw her in a dream, her husband of many years had passed away. I can't recall the exact cause of death, but I know it was unexpected. On that particular day, I felt a strong impression to speak with her. I had to wait until the end of church service to have the opportunity to talk to her, though. We conversed for a few minutes, and although I can't recall the specifics of our discussion, I know it meant something to her. I bid her farewell with a hug and went home. It was that same night that I had the dream, and I didn't understand its meaning or why I had it until the following day when my mom texted me to inform me that Gracie had passed away in the middle of the night. She had suffered a stroke and didn't recover. I remember that moment upon receiving the news. I thought about my dream. Did I have it because God knew that this was going to happen and he was giving me a sign? To this day, I still don't have an answer to that question. My other experience occurred a few years earlier. I was dating a boy at the time. We'll call him Jack. Jack had numerous medical issues, one of which involved having seizures. It was a constant source of worry for me. I live in a corner of my state in the U.S., with three other states within just an hour's reach in any direction. Due to the limited medical resources in my state, my boyfriend would often travel to another state, where his grandparents lived, to receive medical attention. This happened at least once a month. On the day this particular story takes place, he was in another state. We had been talking throughout the day and nothing seemed out of the ordinary. I went to sleep that night and had a dream that instantly made me realize it was about him. Overwhelmed with panic, I sent him numerous messages across multiple apps. I anxiously waited for hours to receive a response as I had woken up at around 4 or 5 in the morning. Finally, at around 8, he texted me back, assuring me that he was completely fine and nothing had happened. This brought me some relief, and I carried on with my day. However, as hours passed without hearing from him, I grew increasingly worried again. It wasn't like him to be unresponsive. There wasn't much that I could do, though. All my calls went to voicemail, and I anxiously waited for any word about him. Since it was early on in our relationship, I hadn't yet met any of his family members, so there was no one that I could reach out to for information. Finally, around two in the morning, I received a response from him. He had been in a motorcycle accident with his friend, another driver, who hadn't been paying attention. They collided, causing my boyfriend to be thrown off of the bike. Thankfully, his injuries were limited to a fractured wrist and concussion. It could have been much worse, especially since neither he nor his friend were wearing helmets at the time. As a public service announcement, I strongly urge that everybody wear helmets, as those few inches of protection can save lives. Although our relationship ended, that experience was one of the most terrifying feelings I have ever experienced. I've had this dream one more time, 
and that occasion marked one of the saddest moments of my life as my friend did not survive. I'm not fully healed from that experience. However, in all honesty, whether these dreams occurred because God was warning me of impending misfortune, or if they were mere coincidences, I prefer to believe that they were indeed warnings. I sincerely hope and pray that I don't have any more dreams like those anytime soon. I have many other paranormal-type stories, and if you'd like to hear them, I can share them as well. This story involves the first time I had mistaken an apparition for a solid blood and bone individual. I've always been sensitive to things my family couldn't ever explain, knowing things I shouldn't know, and seeming like my recycled soul was older than this human form. As a teen, my bedroom was in the basement of my parents' home. I always slept with my door shut as I didn't like the movements I would sense outside the door. Also in the basement was my older brother's old room, which was now vacant, a bathroom, the laundry room, and my parents' room. My two brothers and sister are much older than me and had already moved out the years previous. On this particular night, I was having a hard time falling asleep. I tossed and turned until finally being greeted by the sweet embrace of oblivion. However, it didn't last long. My bedroom door was opened quickly and loudly. I turned to see a man standing there, just looking at me but not moving or saying anything. I was full of teenage angst at this age and thought it was my dad as the figure standing there looked similar to him without my glasses on. I shouted, Dad, what are you doing? I just fell asleep. Go away. And rolled over with my back to the door. After a few more minutes, I heard my door shut quietly, and I resumed sleeping. At the time, while my mother was still alive, we always ate dinner as a family at the dining room table. It was mostly non-negotiable. At times it annoyed me, but I sure miss this now. The next day at dinner, I confronted my dad. Why did you open my door last night? I couldn't sleep at all and when I finally fell asleep, you woke me up. My dad just looks at me and blinks, saying, I worked midnight shift last night. I wasn't even here. My mom and dad both stopped eating and were looking at me. My mom asked, You're sure you were awake? What did he look like? I got uncomfortable and said, I'm positive I was awake. I thought it was dad. It looked like dad. My mom taps her chin thoughtfully for a moment, gets up from the table, and goes to where she stores our family photo albums. She flips to the page she's looking for and shows me a picture of a man wearing traditional 70s attire and asks, could it have been him? I look at the picture for a moment and say, yes, but isn't this dad? She closes the book and says, no, it's your dad's brother, Kirk. He died in a car accident your dad was also in years ago, way before you were born. They were out celebrating his wife's pregnancy, and the person driving was drunk. Kirk didn't survive. Your dad was badly injured. The scars on his arms are from skin grafts from that accident. I didn't speak for a minute or two. I was used to seeing, hearing, and experiencing things beyond a scientific explanation, but I always knew what it was. I didn't know at all this wasn't just my dad standing there at my door. My mom says, maybe he just wanted to meet you, and that was that. Looking back, being raised in a Catholic household with my devout grandmother, I wonder why my family never doubted me or made me get an exorcism. They always believed me whenever I'd share new experiences. 
I became a danger detector, and if I ever had a bad feeling and someone I knew was brought to my mind's eye, my family immediately went into prevention mode, calling the person, telling them not to leave their house. Because in one way or another, I was always right. Kind of a useless talent when you never know what they should watch out for. But those are stories for another time. I'm sure I've talked about it in previous episodes, but I know of a pastor that would have dreams about snakes before something really bad would happen. It's something that always bothered me, though, because he ended up in prison for some very disturbing crimes that were going on during those premonitions. Additionally, I personally view precognitive dreams about somebody's demise to be more of a curse. That's just me. No, I do too. That makes the most sense. Yeah, it's just our opinion. Um, I would never want to know when somebody that I loved was going to pass away. Right, just like you wouldn't want to know when you're going to die. I can imagine there are people out there that would want to know, and I could see it being like a benefit so that you could prepare for it and you could do as much as you could possibly do like your bucket list before you died if you knew when you were going to die but that foreboding of knowing when it's going to happen and then it'd be hard to enjoy with that right there yeah i would rather die earlier than i'm expected to than know when i'm going to die if that makes sense that does make sense yeah that we can still live life to its fullest Mm -hmm. and not worry like oh here we go two more weeks oh my god (laughs) that would be the worst (laughs) yeah but i guess for some people's personalities uh depending on their myers-briggs it could (laughs) could be a (laughs) positive thing depending on whether or not they're a gemini yeah uh so those two anecdotes you know me think me feeling that it's more of a curse and it happening to somebody who is literally one of the worst people on earth the scum of the earth it leads me to personally believe that some of these precognitive gifts are more of a curse from below rather than a gift from above if you know what i mean i'm tracking but nonetheless that was a very interesting story thank you karen for sending that in and sharing it with us I know we recently talked about the phone call that we both experienced where we knew that there was bad news about a family member, but I feel like that's different. I think that's more of an in-the-moment ESP kind of event. Mm -hmm. Have you ever had any dream premonitions that were good or bad? If I have, I've already shared them on the show, and I just can't think of them off the top of my head. (laughs) I'd like to think that I have. Like I know my dreams have taught me something, or I've had some that were beyond explanation absolutely but as far as any specifics they're not coming to me right now but i'll have to get back with you (laughs) okay uh yeah i i feel like there are so many stories we've probably retold throughout the year and a half that we've been doing the show i think about that every time we hit record what are we going to repeat this time (laughs) i know that i've told the story before about the snake dream piece of crap guy but uh I, i just it felt it felt like it related to the story, but that's that's the problem. So many of our stories are repeating themes. They <laughs> so jog our like, memories, yeah. It jogs our memory of the things that happen in our lives, and we want to relate because we're both empathetic people. We should hire a historian to go through every outro and catalog <laughs> each and every talking point that we've come up with and how many times it's been mentioned. That's not, actually not a terrible idea. We we do need an assistant for odd trails. I, I'm not putting it out there. Don't send in your resume. Oh, I was about to say, you just <laughs> threw some blood out in the ocean. Please, there. by all means, don't send out your resumes. No way we could deal with that. It's a good thought, though. Yeah, it's a good thought. In the story I read about the mind-reading yoga teacher, the author wasn't shy about voicing their initial skepticism Mm-hmm. probably uh, I would even almost say a bit aggressive about it. Do you know anybody who at one point was a very strong non-believer, but then had an experience or maybe even came across new information that led to them changing their minds? Yeah, I actually have an uncle who was pretty skeptical about most things. And then I remember being at his house one time and we were watching an 
alien documentary show. It, you know, it might have even been like an old episode of Unsolved Mysteries where they were talking about a UFO encounter or something. Those were the best, yeah. It was a very dated show, but it was cool. And I remember him turning to me and saying, you know, I, we just don't know what's out there. To think that there's no such thing as aliens and UFOs, I think that's a little narrow-minded. And I was just, uh, for him, that was kind of crazy to hear. And that kind of spurred a conversation about anything supernatural or paranormal or that is beyond our, you know, earthly understanding of life. And he went on to talk about how during one of his jobs when he was doing deliveries to this restaurant where it was late at night, nobody was there. It's an old, old building. Like, I think it was probably like an old Victorian house that was converted into a restaurant. And he did his delivery. Then he went downstairs to the bathroom that was like in the basement, basically. And he's sitting there and he hears a bunch of stuff moving around upstairs. Doors are all locked. Nobody can get in there. And then he, I, if I'm remembering the story right, he heard something like a moan or a scream or something, something very unearthly. Then he, you know, freaked out got out of there as quickly as he could, went upstairs, and there was nobody there. Nothing had moved around. But he definitely mm. heard sounds. This guy this guy doesn't make stuff up. I trust him. He's a cool guy. And uh, that from that point on, he was pretty much an open-minded person. He went from absolutely skeptical to a completely open-minded person, which was very cool to see. That's fair, yeah. Sometimes that's what it takes is that initial proof right in front of your face. Mm-hmm. Do you know anybody? Not anybody in particular, but... I know several people whose minds have opened up quite a bit in recent years now that UFOs are being given some more legitimacy and exposure at the government level. While I'm sure there are some conspiracy theories to be had there, Mm -hmm. it's nice that we at least see more people asking the question, even at the expense of some backlash. I agree. And it's also weird that we're seeing the government and the world accept the existence of UFOs. Finally, yeah. But people are so chill about it. Nobody really Mm -hmm. cares. That's what I expected to happen, to be honest. As a kid, I remember thinking, oh, what's the worst that could happen if the government were to acknowledge aliens or UFOs? And I remember thinking, it wouldn't be the end of the world. People would just go on like normal. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that until we see like an alien life form, like a real alien life form, the crafts, because we're so, I guess desensitized to it from seeing so many movies and TV shows about alien spacecrafts and so many people filming them themselves. Mm -hmm. It's just, oh yeah, we've been seeing this for years. We knew this existed. We all deep down knew that UFOs existed. I think that it's until we see an alien life form. We need to see a jolly green alien dancing on Jimmy Kimmel's table or something like that. That's what it's going to take. Yeah. That's the only way people are going to freak out. (laughs) And even then, who knows? Yeah. We're weird, man. Humans are weird. Regarding Aubrey's story about the shadow entity connected to her father, that's the second time I've been told of an event just like that. I had a friend tell me a story of somebody that they knew whose parents' marriage was in turmoil, just like the story growing up, and ultimately ended in divorce, just like the story. They recalled actually seeing this demon or entity that was attached to their father even after their parents split up. It was more of like a female succubus type being. Um, I guess this podcast has really just affirmed so many beliefs that I had in spirits, both good and bad growing up. It's definitely a belief that I've dismissed in majority of my life, especially in my careless 20s. However, this show has revitalized my desire to learn and share more about the topic as well as keep myself safe from them. That makes a lot of sense because I think I guess apathy and carelessness is the best way you could explain my way of looking at things, but just hearing other people's stories and interacting with people, asking questions with some of these people that send in their stories, you can really get a good sense for what is real and what is really out there, and you gain a newfound appreciation for it all. Yeah. I wanted to touch on the story about the mom who died in the hospital and had what amounted to a near-death experience. We don't see that a lot. Yeah. I found this one interesting because in many of the more popular near-death experiences, people usually see deceased relatives and there's a glimpse into the future in some way. But this story was very much in the present moment, almost like the Robert Monroe astral projection 
where things would be in real time, but I haven't heard of any sort of crossover with the astral realm and whatever realm near-death experiences take place in. Yeah, I agree. That was really cool. And it, again, affirmed some of my beliefs in the whole astral projection thing. It's almost like everything sort of connects in some way. All of these stories, they all have these threads that are weaved together. And that's kind of the cool thing that our podcast does. It brings it all together. We're not closed off to any story genre whatsoever send in whatever you want because somehow it all kind of connects it all makes things make more sense and we're able to use our detective brains to figure out what we think might be happening you know you and me as professionals when it comes to (laughs) these types of things yeah (laughs) it's definitely some alternate dimension type of thing definitely that's all it all is yeah i think so too magic workings behind the curtain Mm mm-hmm Yeah, you've got some uh, vocal fry there. Yeah, yeah, it's been a rough week. Monday, I started a what I thought was going to be a healthy diet with a salad for lunch, (laughs) a very lean sushi roll for dinner, woke up Tuesday, no bueno, I'm just now feeling a little bit better. And I'm sure the vocal fry reflected in the stories, but take it as a novelty for this week, I guess. Well, at least you're on the mend, right? You're getting a little better. I, I, I mean, I can see yeah. the fatigue in your eyes. I can, I'm mm-hmm. feeling it for sure. But are you at least a little better? Are you optimistic? Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's good. We're good. We're happy to have you back. Um, we are recording this very last minute. Like this is going to be out <laughs> within an hour or two of this yeah. recording. Wouldn't want it any other way. Yeah. But uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. This week, you have heard My Yoga Teacher Read My Mind by Fravinsky. I Think It Wanted My Dad by Aubrey. My Mom Held Hands With God by Harley. My Dreams Make Bad Things Happen by Karen. And finally, Full Body Apparition by Colleen. All of the stories you've heard this week were narrated and produced with the permission of their respective authors. Make sure you send your stories in at stories at oddtrails.com and we'll take a look. And don't forget, if you want to get access to ad-free versions of all of our episodes at a higher bit rate for the best listening experience, head over to patreon.com forward slash oddtrails to sign up and support the show today. Finally, don't forget to check out the new episodes of my other podcasts, Let's Not Meet, a true horror podcast, Welcome to Paradise It Sucks, and the old-time radio cast at crypticcountypodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts. We'll see you all next week. Everyone stay safe. Peace out.